So guys, this is a session about the Mahabharata, about the Gita. The Gita is an epic within an epic. The Mahabharata was an epic that was written by Ved Vyas, which chronicles the battle for land, power and status between two sets of cousins, the Pandavas and the Kauravas. The Kauravas were 101 in number, 100 brothers, one sister. The Pandavas, as you all know, were five in number. Vyasa, when he, Ved Vyasa, when he wrote this, made it extremely, made the character set extremely interesting. He made Dhritarashtra blind so that he was incapable of seeing the injustice. Gandhari put a putty over her eyes so she became knowingly blind so that she could turn a blind eye to the injustice. He showed how negative multiplied by converting one piece of flesh, which is if we go back into mythology. Gandhari could not conceive so she was blessed by Vedvyas himself that she would conceive and have a child when she gave birth. It was to a lump of flesh which Vedvyas then cut into a hundred and one pieces, put them in pots of ghee and they gestated and after a gestation period they were born as the hundred Korvas and the one sister. By doing this he also showed how negativity can multiply because if you take it symbolically all the Korvas were one whether they were 100 or 1, they were actually 1, which multiplied into 101. Then he made, he gave Pandu a curse that he could not have sex or could not have children so that their mother, Kunti, actually had conceived five children from five different uh, celestial beings so that they had all the energy and the power of those celestial fathers. Draupadi, they made the wife, the woman scorned, who became the catalyst for the battle. Krishna, was the master strategist and the statesman. The Gita in itself is a way of counseling using Vedanta to help Arjun find his mental equilibrium, which he lost just before the battle. It was the, the Gita in itself was a way of bringing Vedantic philosophy to the masses in a very easy storytelling manner. And because it was done as counseling, the impact on anyone who read it was amazing. And people took away from it whatever they were in the mental frame of mind to take away from. It was the Vedantic way of life reinterpreted in context with the current time, that current time, the time of the Mahabharata. However, the Gita, even today, can be literally interpreted in context with our life today, our life 500 years from now, 1000 years from now. It is timeless. This knowledge is completely timeless. In the first chapter itself, there are so many lessons that we learn. One of the first lessons we learn is that when you come into conflict, conflict causes a push and a pull and you come to a standstill, which is exactly what we see happening in the case of Arjun. Arjun got into a state of conflict about dharma, is it correct? Should I follow my Kshatriya dharma? Should I follow my family dharma? Is it correct for me to kill all my, my relative, my kinsmen, my gurus? And because of this push and pull that was created in his mind, he came to a standstill, which is what conflict does to us. And the root cause of all suffering is our inability to deal with conflict, which is what chapter one 
to a large extent deals with. A lot of lessons in chapter one. Silence is both a weapon and a tool. It is shown by Dronacharya silence right in the beginning. Sanjay, the charioteer, is asked by Dhritarashtra, who is blind, that Sanjay was given the blessings of divine sight. Actually, Ved Vyasa, before the Mahabharata started, had gone to Dhritarashtra and given him the option that I can give you the blessings of divine sight if you want to be able to see the uh, battle on your own. And Dhritarashtra refused. One of the reasons for his or Probably the main reason for him to refuse was because he did not want to see. He would rather be blind. And as the Gita progresses, we will realize that he also chose to be deaf because he ignored a lot of warnings coming from Sanjay and a lot of other people. When Sanjay start, took this uh, gift of divine sight and started relating the, the entire battle scene, in chapter one, it's only in the first stanza the first words that Dhritarash speaks through the entire Gita which was to ask Sanjay what is happening on the battlefield just describe the events to me and what Sanjay starts describing is that Duryodhan goes up to Dronacharya and talks he raves he rants Duryodhan having seen the other side having seen the power of the other side was working out of fear he realized that there were a lot of things that were that were not may not work for him he was having this battle between ego vanity arrogance on one side coupled with fear on the other side he knew his battle was dharma versus adharma he knew that his side was probably the adharma side because they were fighting and pushing for something that was not theirs an unfair fight in this battle when he Duryodhan realizes he may be on the losing side there is so much of fear in him through that fear that conflict that fear created he goes and talks to Dronacharya his talk to Dronacharya was a rave and a rant he went to the extent of even showing Dronacharya down, he accused him of the fact that you are the one who has taught the Pandavas and they are going to learn, use that teaching to go into battle against you itself. Now, fact of the matter, Drona was the guru to both. He did what his dharam said to do, teach. But this was Duryodhan's fear that came into place. Then he even called Dronacharya twice born. Now, twice born in the way he said it was an insult. Normally, what you call somebody twice born is somebody who is born once of a mother and the second time you're born or take a rebirth through knowledge. So he called Dronacharya twice born. What did Dronacharya do to this entire rave and rant that carried on and on for a lot of stanzas? He kept quiet. Silence is a very, very powerful weapon. And it's a weapon or a tool, depending on how you use it. If you use it for counseling, what most counselors do when they sit down, they keep quiet, allowing the other person to vent. And when the person vents, a lot of what is happening inside them comes out. Their deepest fears, their thoughts. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with silence. Try this as an example. At any time when you're sitting in a group of people, just stay silent and you will find a lot of people will jump in to fill that silence because they're 
uncomfortable with it, which is what Dronacharya did. He kept silent to allow Duryodhan to pull everything out of his system through his raving and his ranting, even his insulting. After insulting Dronacharya, Duryodhan actually went out to appease him by calling him the great master, calling Bhishma Pitama the great master. Silence was the weapon that Dronacharya used and this was the first take in, in the Gita that silence is both a weapon and a tool. The same thing we understand when Arjun starts raving and ranting. So the entire first chapter, the first lot of stanzas are devoted to Duryodhan raving and ranting in front of Dronacharya. The next lot of uh, stanzas, there's a lot of stanzas in between. We talk about how the, how the call to arms went and all of that. But the last entire bit of chapter one is about Arjun raving and ranting, starting from pride, arrogance, to humility, to pity, to compassion, to fear. And finally, bringing himself to a point of complete shutdown. And through all of this, Krishna kept quiet, did not open his mouth. He let Arjun go through the entire plethora of emotions to come to a point where he finally shut down and then he would be ready in chapter two to actually listen to some sense. So what we see is conflict, similar conflicts, conflicts with Duryodhan had within him, dharma, dharma versus dharma. Similar conflict in Arjun, dharma versus a dharma. In both cases, it was ego, vanity, arrogance, common trend between both the cousins. Another very important factor that came out in chapter one was that our Vedantic philosophy actually tells us to actively resist evil. The entire philosophy of the battle which Krishna taught to Arjun through the entire Gita was active resistance to evil. It is a to actively resist evil. If we see something bad that is happening, we are supposed to talk about it. We are not supposed to accept it. And what I don't understand is how we as Hindus who come, not Hindus, Indians who come from such a strong tradition of Vedanta forgot that. It is so important to remember that it is our job, each and every one of us, active resistance to evil. It is part and parcel of our dharma. It is part and parcel of our belief structure. Very beautifully put by Chinmaynan, who I'm a very big follower of, that there is what is known as the Arjun disease and there is the Gita, is, there is the Krishna cure. So the entire Gita is about the Arjun disease and the Krishna cure. Gita is a saga of counseling with Gyan, knowledge, on how to deal with the vagaries of life, with all its challenges and ups and downs, from a sheer common sense perspective, and according to the Vedantic way of life. Arjun suffers from delusions of strength, valor, his own prowess as a as a warrior and when he sees reality in the fact that the other side has no less strength as strong as empowered he goes through panic attacks he goes through anxiety attacks and that is that happens when reality meets delusion and that is the 
Arjun disease. And believe you me, more often than not, a lot of people suffer from this Arjun disease. The Gita outlines all known paths to perfection as given in the Vedas, which is Gyan, Bhakti, Karma. So it is knowledge accompanied by Bhakti, dominated by Karma, is the Gita way of achieving perfection. So we go right up till Sansa 12. It is only about Duryodhan raving and ranting and going on and on and Dronacharya keeping quiet. Bhishma Pitama is sitting on the sidelines and he is watching Dronacharya and understands that slowly but steadily there is a temper that is rising in Dronacharya and before anything happens also with Duryodhan raving and ranting it became such a downer for the rest of his army they're hearing him so as it is that army that is there with Duryodhan also knows has not come because they believe in Duryodhan or they have faith in Duryodhan they've come for one of two reasons either they came out of fear of Duryodhan and what he would do to them or they came out of respect for Bhishma Pitana that and these are not reasons to hold an army together so Bhishma Pitama understanding this realizing the demoralizing effect it was having on the army he knew he had to do something very positive so what he did is he took out his conch his shell and blew it he blew it to break the tension to break what was happening but by his blowing the conch what he did was he started the battle cry and forever in posterity it will be known that the Korvas were the first to start the battle it was just i won't even call it coincidence it was just a set of circumstances that made bhishma pitama blow the conch he was not really wanting to stop that battle he do it he blew it to diffuse a situation but because of that Karvas for perpetuity will be known as the aggressors from stanzas 13 to 19 what happens is Everybody, after hearing the conch blown by Pishma Pitama, both sides started blowing the conches, and it was this was the cry to battle. And also, when you you know when you're in a battle, when you shout, you scream, you blow your bugles, you blow your conch, you're also giving a lot of courage to yourself to go on ahead with the battle. And right up to stanza 19, all that you see is the discharge of different battle cry sounds. And the way Sanjay described it to Dhritarashtra was he did such an eloquent description of the Pandava side naming each and every conch, each and every battle drum, each and every bugle that was because everybody used to give names and to their conches or their battle drums or their bugles. He described it in such poetic way which also showed his bent, his prejudice towards the Pandavas as opposed to the Korvas. Having heard all of this, Arjun in his ego, in his vanity, asked Krishna to take him to the center of the battlefield. He wanted, he wanted to strut like a peacock. He wanted, so he, the chariot was taken to the center of the battlefield and, Arjun, and Krishna being Krishna made sure he placed the chariot in such a way that Arjun had a perfect view of both sides of the army lined up and Arjun stood up on the chariot one leg on the wheel his 
bow in his hand in all his grandeur surveying everything delusions of grandeur he thought he was the most powerful warrior that there was and then he met reality because when he looked on the Korva side he saw huge Maharatis like Drona, Bhishma Pitama, a lot of others that were Ashwamedh. There were so Ashwatthama sorry there were so many people there who were of the same stature maybe even better than him and when he started seeing them with all their weapons out ready for war he came down notch by notch and he saw not just warriors he saw family on both sides he saw cousins uncles grandparents and he realized he was not battling enemies he was actually batting, battling kith, kin and gurus and he realized that the casualties of such a war on both sides would be family and friends. Sanjay, when he is narrating this, narrates it as compassion. But actually, the truth is twofold. We feel pity for somebody. Pity, sympathy. We feel that when we are in a position of strength compared to others. Arjun's feeling of pity and compassion were a display of his own arrogance. When Arjun said he had he felt pity when he spoke to krishna and said i'm feeling pity and compassion what he was actually trying to say was i am higher i am more powerful and i'm feeling pity for these people who are a little lesser in stature than me the second is when we give a glorified name to a very base emotion when arjun saw all these warriors he realized he was not alone there were a lot of others who were of the same stature. What he felt was a shattering of his ego, which he glorified with the name of pity and compassion. The same way as a lot of us are likely to do. Let's just take, we aggrandize a very base emotion because we are not honest enough to face that base emotion or that that base emotion can be a part of us. Just take, for example, somebody like a Shah, Shah Jahan. He built a beautiful monument like the Taj Mahal under the guise of the love he had for his wife and how much he loved her and this was to immortalize her. What he was doing was an aggrandization scheme for himself. When you remember the Taj Mahal, when you talk of the Taj Mahal, do you think of Mumtaz Mahal or you think of Shah Jahan and his glorification of how much he loved his wife that he actually went and built a Taj Mahal. Similarly, all of us are prone to doing that. We take a base emotion. We hide that base emotion under a much more nobler thought because it is more acceptable to us personally and definitely more acceptable to the world at large, which is what Arjun did. He hid a base emotion which was basically a shattering of his ego when he saw the other side, saw how strong they were. When his ego got shattered, he covered it up under the guise of compassion and pity. From there on, right up to stanza 34, Arjun raves and rants to Krishna using every excuse in the sun. He starts ranting about all his body symptoms, saying, saying he's feeling a lot of weakness, he's got a dry mouth, he's trembling. He describes all the symptoms of a panic attack and 
actually what Arjun did have is a complete meltdown, which is what happens when delusion meets reality. Our mind, the conscious mind is not able to take it. It goes into flight, flight fight mode and it flies, it runs away and leaves us with either a panic attack, an anxiety attack, a depression or maybe even fainting. Arjun had all the symptoms of a panic anxiety attack. He used every argument he could think of. He quoted every Shastra that he could think of. They were very well read and educated. He said, I have not come here to win against my kinsmen, which was an absolute lie because that is exactly what he had come to do. He, he knew right from the beginning that what he was going to fight were his relatives. He uses a statement saying, I have not come here to win against my kinsmen. The word win is arrogance in its own right because he is working under the presumption that he is going to win, that he is. This is all these are signs of the delusions that Arjun carried within him. That win was a sign of that delusion, saying that I don't want to win. That is so arrogant. How do you know you're going to win? There's no outcome of the battle. It hasn't even started. When we speak, it very when we have delusions, what we are also trying to hide is the opposite. We are hide, we're trying to hide our insecurities. So a lot of what Arjun was also trying to do was again, he was trying, like I said before, he was trying to hide his insecurities under a lot of words. He was scared of losing and was looking for reasons why he should not fight the battle. In his wisdom or his delusions, what he had thought is it is better to find a foolproof reason to walk out of the battle rather than suffer a defeat. And that is what he was trying to convince Krishna about. And again, Krishna was using the power of silence to allow Arjun to vent it all out. Now, Krishna allowed Arjun to use, to vent it all out for a couple of reasons. One, he wanted all of it out of Arjun because a very, very important fact of counseling, when you went, you went it all out. So you start healing better. If even a little bit is left in you, it's a, re a remnant that is going to create, that will never allow the wound to heal or a scar to form. So it was very important from a counseling perspective for Arjun to vent it all out. Secondly, when you're venting, your innermost thoughts come out. You can't help it. You just, everything just comes out. You vomit it out, which helps the counselor understand and guide you better or at least put you on paths that will work towards healing you. The Gita is primarily a counseling session between Arjun and Krishna. It is so important to get all the innermost turmoil, fears and dichotomies out of a person which is what Krishna did to Arjun. Krishna used the Vedantic way of life to counsel and help Arjun get out of his Arjun disease. The beauty of it is that same counseling that has happened right through the Gita is something that we all can apply to our life. It is very important for all of us to sit down, analyze ourselves and see how much of the Arjun disease we carry within us how much of that conflict we carry within us, how many delusions we carry about ourselves and come to 
terms with this. Arjun, on the other hand, is using typically negative reasoning to say what he really wants. So when he says, I don't want to battle my kingsman, actually he did want to battle his kingsman. That is why he was on the battle uh, on the battlefield. He says he didn't want victory. He really wanted victory, but he was scared. He said he didn't want kingdom, but he really wanted the kingdom. So a lot of dichotomy is happening inside Arjun's head. He's scared of the outcome after having seen the strength of the opposite side. And he is desperate for validation from Krishna to justify why not fighting the battle is correct. Krishna continues with his silence and this continues right through. Krishna does not in the entire chapter one does not speak one word. The more Krishna kept silent with you know how Krishna's always been depicted with that slight half smile of his so with that which is obviously Ved Vyasa's description which is amazing. The more that half smile on the silence continued the more it provoked Arjun into using further arguments to validate. So he started off with pity, he started off with compassion, he started talking about how it is not okay to kill kinsmen. He carries on and says to the extent that what pleasure will we derive from killing sons of Dhritarashtra? They may be aggressors and his words are they may be the aggressors. They have come from a point of a dharma. We come from a point of dharma. But how can we be happy killing? So even now, Arjun is putting himself up a little. You know how you boost your lack of confidence with overconfidence? And that is what Arjun was trying to do. He even this track does not get a response out of uh, Krishna. So he now starts quoting the Archastra. The Archastra very clearly says it is okay to punish or kill anyone who has committed any one of these six crimes, which is set fire to the house of another person, poison a person, kill or murder a person, steal a person's wealth, his land or his wife. And Arjun justifies you quoting the Archastra saying, look, the Korvas have done all of these. They have set fire to our house. They have tried to poison us. They've tried to kill us. They've stolen our wealth. They've stolen our land. They have been, they didn't steal the wife, but they were, they lately were rude to the wife. And he says they deserve to be killed. So again, he's trying to justify, but he says that, you know, they need to be punished, but I am willing to be magnanimous enough to not punish them. So he's again talking of how magnanimous he is, how grand he is. He's still carrying those delusions that are inside him. When even quoting the Archastra does not get him a response, he now quotes the Dharam Shastra saying, Hinduism has three tenets which are truthfulness, non-violence and self-restraint. Now this is the exact opposite of the Archastra. So he quoted the Archastra, no response for Krishna. Now he's quoting the Dharam Shastra, trying to say that because I am that good Hindu, I will follow the tenets of Hinduism and I will, you know, non-violence, self-restraint. And he says that is why he will not battle the Korvas. So he's using every known uh, reason under the book 
to try and get Krishna to say yes to him not going into battle. Now, once again, something that is really important for us to see here, how important it was for Arjun to get validation for his decision. He was scared. He didn't want to go into battle. He's given every single reason which to him makes a lot of sense why he should not be going into battle. But he is not willing to take accountability on his head because he knows if he walks out of that battle, he is the one who is going to be accountable for not having that battle. For posterity, it will be on his name that Arjun walked out of this battle. So he wants that validation from Krishna, who is respected, revered at that time also as a god. He wanted that validation because as with most of us, we find it very, very hard to take accountability of our own actions, which is exactly what Arjun was doing. The entire Gita, the entire 18 chapters of Gita are Arjun not wanting to take responsibility and Krishna step by step helping him, teaching him, bringing him to a point where he becomes accountable for his own decisions and comes to the bare honest truth that he has to battle. It is so beautiful the way it is said and the way it is done. Now here I'm going to take one minute to talk a little about Wade Bears. To me that guy is incredible. We talk of he has written the Mahabharata, obviously the Gita which is a part of the Mahabharata. Sometimes I get the feeling that the entire Mahabharata was created so that Gita could come out of it. He divided the four Vedas were actually one. Vedvyas divided them into four Vedas so that they became a little more easier understood by people. So he has the division of the four Vedas to him. He has the Puranas, the 18 Puranas that he has written. He has written the Brahma Shastra. For a man who was so incredibly intelligent, his intelligence shows up in just one simple fact. When he wrote the Gita or any of these, he did not take any credit for it. He ascribed the credit to Vishnu, to Krishna, because he knew that to get the message across to people, to get the people to understand, using a higher source, a Godhead, a God figure, people will understand it better. Probably, it is not that the import of the Gita would have gone anywhere Ved Vyas had used his own name. It would still be as powerful but may not have been as popular. Its popularity came from the fact that he had the brains and the wisdom to as ascribe these words to Vishnu in the form of Krishna. And that is ultimate intelligence of a human being where there is he has given a perfect example of no ego he has done such important works without giving himself the credit for it he's given the credit for all this work to somebody else so i bow my head to this man according to me the fact that we have guru purnima named for him guru purnima is a day when we actually pray or thank for his life whatever said of that this man it is too little. He is incredible and the intelligence that comes out as we go through phrases of the Gita, as we go through 
other stanzas, chapters, when we go through the beauty of the message that the Gita carries. And you know what is the beauty of the Gita is that every time you read it, you will take a new learning away from it. It is never static. I think I've read the Gita probably about all of seven times by now. And not once have I felt I was repeating the book because every time I read it, I was actually taking new knowledge away from it. And that is the beauty of the Gita. The Gita is actually, so you have the Vedas, the four Vedas, which were very hard for common man to understand. So the Upanishads came out. The Upanishads were subtexts of the Vedas, which were written in the form of a teacher-student discourse. So the teacher, the student would ask a question, the teacher would answer the question, and that was how the Upanishads were written. Even that was not very easy for a lot of people to understand. So the Gita came out. Gita was easy. It was for anybody from any level of intellect, easy for them to understand. But the Gita is the Vedas, the philosophy of the Vedas, the complete Vedantic way of life is compressed into these 18 chapters. I am going to end this chapter here and the next discourse will be on the 15th of August Sunday. I would request you to please like and subscribe to my channel if you like the contents of the channel. Thank you.